Welcome to another installment of Under Construction. I'm your host today, Rodney. To my bottom is Mr. Angry Black Fan, who we had to talk down off the ledge. Uh, Jamal Darby, how you doing today, man? I just want to say, man, I really appreciate you and Kaiser more than ever this week, man. Because look, man, like like I have I have the devil and the angel on the two shoulders, and y'all are the angels saying, "Hey, Jamal, please don't cuss out all the new Lamelo Ball fans." So to my brothers, man, I just want to thank y'all from the bottom of my heart. And to ne- and next to me, we have Mister Kaiser Solse. How you feeling, bro? Feel good, man. Feel good. Uh... Got a lot to say this week. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, all right. Well, well, new Hornets fans. Yeah. Not new guys. Well, first, we're going to talk Panthers in our back-to-back winning season segment. We hired a new GM. We, we haven't said that in a while, actually. Yeah, look, yeah, man, yeah. Look, I'm trying to re-implement it. All right, cool. Look, man, look. The ticker got me back on point. <laughs> so, so we hired Scott Fitterer this past week. Uh, it was a it was a quick arrangement. Like we reached out to him on what, Saturday or Sunday, and the first interview via Skype was on Monday. And then the next day or two, he was flying to Charlotte for the second interview and, and, and signed the deal. So, what do you guys know about him, and, and what do you think about the hire? I I'm cautious because I feel like this could be another Rich Cho situation. Ooh, whoa. Whoa. And that I mean this. You can't get the guy, so you get the guy that's under the guy. Mm. If you recall, Seattle, coincidence, it's the same area, you know, same city, but uh, Seattle's GM hit on Kevin Durant uh, and Russell Westbrook, James Harden. You know, he, he essentially built this, this really good team. You know, they ended up moving to Oklahoma City. But, I mean, they were a, a championship contending team in a short amount of time. Now, Rich Cho was part of that, but he wasn't the guy that made that happen. He was essentially an assistant GM. And then so, you know, Michael Jordan says, well, hey, he's got to bring some of that winning culture and that knowledge over to Charlotte. So they hired Rich Cho, and it just didn't work out. And not all of that was Rich Cho's fault, but it is what it is. So this looks like a similar situation. John Schneider has been one of the best GMs in the NFL for over a decade. You know, he found some diamonds in the rough with with, uh, Russell Wilson. You know, he drafted well. He built not just a championship contender, but a team that won a Super Bowl and has been a perennial playoff team for the last decade. Now, you can't get him. But you got a guy who's been under him for most of that time. Scott Fitter has been uh, the he was the director of college scouting, and mm-hmm. then he was the director of uh, player personnel, and then yep. just recently he was the vice president of football operations. And that looks great. That is a great resume to have on a team like the Seahawks, which has been a very successful exactly. franchise over the last decade. But that doesn't mean he's John Schneider, and that doesn't mean that he's going to bring those things to the Carolina Panthers that John Schneider brought with with, with the Seahawks. Especially considering, and this here's what makes this move very interesting. It's pretty much been said that Matt Rule will have control over personnel. He's the the, the, the he's going to essentially uh, 
be what he was in college. You know, he's going to make those decisions. Whereas Scott Fitterer, his history with Seattle has been scouting and player personnel. How is that? I don't understand how that's going to work. Also, whoever we wanted to be GM is going to have to handle the money situation. Yep. Does Scott Fitterer have that experience? Because his experience with Seattle has been scouting and personnel. He's never had to deal with what he's going to have to deal with signing, uh, re-signing Curtis Samuel to a big contract. What do you do uh, when Bridgewater's contract is up? Pretty soon, guys like Brian Burns are going to be up. What do you do with the KK Short situation? Can Scott Fitterer handle those situations uh, coming from a mostly scouting background? And that was one of the issues we had with Rich Cho. Rich Cho was mainly a scout with uh, Oklahoma City and Seattle. Then he comes here and, you know, he gives Marvin, Marvin Williams uh, like half a billion dollars because that just wasn't his experience. <laughs> I, I just worry that, that, that the Carolina Panthers might fall into that trap. Um, that is my only concern with with hiring someone like Scott Fitter. I mean, he's got the resume, but like considering what Tepper has said, he wants to do for the future. Matt rules role with personnel. I thought that Fitter was a interesting hire. Right. You know? All right. I want y'all to follow me here. So, cause my first sentence, y'all can be like, where are you going with this? Tony Braxton has a song called as long as I live. And there's a line in this song. The line in this song says, if you can't be with the one you're with, go ahead and two-step with the one you're with. We're going two-step with Scott Fitterer. He's not the guy we wanted. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. He, I, he, he's basically – and it's hard to kind of follow uh, Kaiser because, you know, of all the points you just made, just to give some background on Scott Fitterer, man, he does have a football background. This is a guy who was going to play quarterback for UCLA. Um, he was even scouted to play baseball. So he has a vast sports background. Now, as far as the GM situation goes, um, the good thing about this, what we can be excited about is the work that he did with Seattle and Seattle having that sustained success over the last nine to 10 seasons that we're looking for. We're looking for that kind of sustained success that the Seahawks had two uh, Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl. We would love to say that we would have two Super Bowl appearances and one win in the next nine to 10 seasons coming up. However, um, you know, he's like, like Kaza said, he's more, he's been more of the, uh, on the scouting side. He's unproven when mm-hmm. it comes to handling the money situation. You know, he's, he's had a hand in drafting Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor. Uh, he had a hand in, in drafting Russell Wilson in the third round. That's a damn good resume as far as scouting goes. You, That's pretty – that's A-plus in my opinion. I mean, that's spot on. You know what I mean? But to echo Kaz's point, how is this situation going to work with Matt Rule, who everybody knows is going to have the final say-so in personnel decisions? It's almost like Matt Rule is the de facto GM, but Scott Fitterer has the title, if that makes any sense. And you just wonder – how that's going to work. And and are, you know, is Rule, Fitterer, and Tepper going to be all on the same page? We've had, we had the same concern with the Rich Cho era. We often wondered, was MJ and Cho and Clifford all on the same page? I dare to say they were not. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a pretty safe bet to say that they were not. 
we just kind of question whether these are going to be the same challenges that Scott Fitterer is going to have. But, I, you know, again, the, the, the players that he scouted, they give us hope for sustained success. But the, the money situation now also keep in mind this coming offseason, he only has about $14 million in cap space. He has some hard decisions to make. Is he going to let Kawan Short go? Is he going to is he going to resign Curtis Samuel? Does he resign Taylor Moulton? So these are just some really hard decisions that a first that any first year GM is going to have to make, man. So we'll see. So guys, let me ask you a question: How much input into hiring uh, Fitterer do you think uh, Matt Rule had? And also, there, there, there's kind of been rumbling in the media about kind of a power struggle with Rule and Tepper. Tepper, I mean, because you, you, you look at Rule, I'm going to echo something that Jamal said. He's kind of the de facto GM at this point. I mean, he had enough power to bring in uh, Dwayne Haskins for a, a, a look last week. So how much say-so do you think Rule had – in, in, in the hiring of Fitterer, or do you think this is more of a temper call? I'm going to say none. Just generally, historically, coaches don't have that much sway. It's normally the other way. The GM has a lot more uh, input into the coach hiring process. I think Tepper has made it very clear there's going to be a separation of duties here mm-hmm. between the three of them. I really think that that Tepper is going to be the money guy. He won't that won't be his official role because then he has to make himself an official role. But I really think those money decisions are going to come down to him. He's he's a billionaire. He's probably more involved with the team more than most other owners that that we've seen. He's he is certainly not. And and it remains to be seen whether that's a good or bad thing. Exactly. So I just get the feeling that Tepper says, "Okay, I'm going to handle the contracts and the money. Matt's going to handle the team composition, and then they just kind of need a GM and name. That's the only reason I could think of that you would hire someone with such a deep scouting background who has a a very Marty Herney-like history with picks. There was a lot of um, misses in there. Well, well, I mean, there's misses with every team, but if you look at Seattle, they, they hit on a lot of guys like the Panthers did, honestly. So I think you don't want to – when you get rid of Herney, you don't want to mess that up. You don't want to – you want guys a guy who's going to be able to scout good talent, and they got that fitter. Uh, but what else does he bring as far as being a GM? And I think Tipper feels like, okay, we've separated the GM duties. We've spread the, them out enough to where I don't think that will matter as much. I think it would be kind of a seamless process. Uh I th- I, from what I've heard, I've, I've, I've heard that Pete Carroll is involved within the, the scouting process and selecting players. So he has some of that background of dealing with the coach and GM mm-hmm. looking right. at, at the Seattle program. So I think well, that'll be seamless. Pete Carroll is like Matt Rule, college yep. coach that made the conversion to the NFL, granted his career in his, you know, he, you know, he had some previous failures, but he came back. I, I do think that might have been something that Tepper was looking at uh, because I got to think that Pete Carroll, uh, in fact, we know that Pete Carroll was big in the decision to bring Russell Wilson to Seattle in because he said, hey, that's the kind of quarterback that I want, you know, running my team. And it worked out well for him. So uh, 
you know, I can see uh, where Tepper is saying, okay, we we can make that work here in Carolina. But I think the crux is going to be is how much involvement does Tepper have in all this? What what's his role in well, all? Please this? let him become Tepper Jones. Yeah, but seriously, I, that, I, if you hit the nail on the head, man, we do not need uh, Jerry Jones Jr. here in Charlotte, man. But to answer your question, man, I think Matt Rule's input was minimal, um, if any at all. Um, you know, uh, Herney's not here uh, basically due to what they call philosophical differences, meaning he is a very old school type of GM. Take that for whatever you want to. But the the the, the big word that I've been hearing as far as what's being reported as far as the hiring of Federer is analytics. Um, David Tepper for a couple of seasons now has stated he's been very high and he's very big on analytics. He's one of those guys. And uh, apparently Scott Fitterer is the same way. So that's where they meet at. Uh, Scott Fitterer is not the old school GM that uh, uh, that Herney was supposedly. So uh, with that being said, I don't I don't believe Matt Rule had hardly any input into the GM, which I don't know if that's a good thing. I really don't, because it just goes back to what you know what I said previously. I would think you would want all three parties to kind of be on the same page. So I don't I don't know if that's a good thing, you know, if rule rule not having any input on the GM. Gotcha, gotcha. So so I, I want to move on. I have a question for you guys. Why the hell are people plucking from our coaching staff like we didn't go five and eleven? Oh, Do you boy. guys have an idea <laughs> of what's going on? I'm trying to figure it out. Like while I figure out an answer for this one. <laughs> Our staff looks really good. We know what Joe Brady was able to do with LSU, and I think a lot of people felt like the Panthers hit the jackpot in bringing him into the NFL, uh, and I think a lot of people are interested to see what, what he does with the full team under his control. So uh, I kind of understand that. Also, historically, if you look at our past coaching. I mean, look at the Bills. The Bills, the Bills are yeah. The Bills are Carolina AFC East, and yep. they had they replicated the sh- the very short amount of success <clears throat> the Panthers had in the last decade. So I think people, you know, look at that. If you look at Ron Rivera, although his his time came and went in Carolina. It's hard to not look at the the Washington football team and think that they're trending upward. So the Panthers, you know, have a have a history of you know hitting on coaching staff. John Fox even going all the way back. I, I you know, and I, I think teams look at that and they say, okay, so now they they pick these guys. Maybe they'll be good uh, here with us. Having said that, you're right. It's not like these. I mean, I don't think you can look at Joe Brady in the Panthers and think. Well, Joe Brady did a great job. It's just the other factors that made the team not that good. No, I think one of the biggest issues with the Panthers was their offense and some of the the offensive play calling. And that's not to say that Joe Brady was bad at his job, but he, you know, this was his first time as a full offensive coordinator in the NFL. He had worked with the Saints previously as an assistant. This was his first time. Okay, you got the key to the offense. Yeah, and – you know, it was a learning curve. He had to, you know, he made some mis- mistakes, and I think he'll be much better next season. I really, I really, really think he'll be much better as an offensive coordinator next season. Uh, but I think maybe a lot of teams felt like, I don't, 
don't know. Yeah. That's the best I got. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I'm with you, man, because I, I I'm struggling to to make sense of it as well. I mean, the only thing I can I can really I can really think of, man. Now, one thing I will say, man, if, if I'm a if I'm a GM or or owner for another team, I would think it's kind of lazy to look at the Panthers' history, especially because especially since we're under a wholly new regime now. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that McDermott or Rivera or any of that matters if you're evaluating Brady off of the small sample size of one season, Mm -hmm. but maybe they are looking at the history. Now I will say this, the NFL, we know it's a copycat league. Not only is it a copycat copycat league on the field, it's a copycat league off the field. And what I mean by that, we look at all these young coaches across the league. Sean McVay is 30 something years old. There's a, there's a slew of, of young coaches that were hired in the last five to 10 years. I'm thinking the NFL wants to trend toward that for whatever reason. Joe Brady's 30 years old. Um, he he seems to at least have a, I guess, a somewhat of a, a, a bright mind when it comes to uh, creating um, an, an NFL offense. We saw the Panthers every weekend. You know, nothing looks like it was earth shattering to us, but in the eyes of other GMs and owners, maybe they see something to build off of in the future. I don't know. It's a hard question to really answer because again we are people who see the Panthers every week and there was nothing about Joe Brady's offense and the Carolina Panthers offense that said you know what man this is really groundbreaking man I've never seen anything like it we'd be lying because we saw Rod Chizinski for I don't know how many seasons you know what I mean that <laughs> we definitely don't see Chud and and Right. And Brady, so I don't. And maybe you know, also, I mean the, the Panthers did do some good things offensively. Three thousand yard wide receivers and a thousand yard running back. When your best player is essentially injured the whole season, maybe you know I, I, there there was uh you know there were a lot of bright spots offensively for the Carolina Panthers. It wasn't all bad. It's just that they just couldn't get it done when they needed to. I got to think that's that's really the only reason why you would want to pluck uh joe brady's because you say okay because i think i think a lot of teams look at the panthers and think that we are devoid of talent because we don't have any big we really just don't have any big names anymore except for mccaffrey he didn't even play this season so Mm -hmm. so you say okay which uh, which i completely disagree with i i don't think we're devoid of talent yeah i don't don't think so either but it's just one of those things because we're the carolina panthers they look and they go okay robbie anderson who was essentially a cast off from the the jets dj moore who is kind of okay he's kind of inconsistent he didn't come really who is mike davis teddy bridgewater mr let let me interrupt you real quick kaza i i actually heard someone from the national media and i'm not making this up i heard someone from the national media say dj moore wouldn't start on on a lot of teams in the nfl and i just i wow yeah so number Number eight in reception yards. I, I, I just couldn't even respond, man. But go ahead, sir. No, but no, th- that, yeah, t- to that point, I think that's what it is. People say, okay, the Panthers are devoid of talent, but Joe Brady came in and got 3,000-yard wide receivers and 1,000-yard running back. Um, probably with a better quarterback, he might have, you know, had these astronomical numbers or the Panthers might have had a better offense or if we had a better O-line. You know, they, they, they'll say, well, look what he's had to work with because the Panthers, you know, are a rebuilding team. Um, right. We'll take that quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, but hey, you know, but to, to that point, 
Joe Brady had a history with Teddy Bridgewater based on, you know, New Orleans. So, I, you know, the idea that he might – yeah, sure, if you had Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, of course you're going to have a better offense. But um, I don't know. That's the only thing I – the only reason I can think of why teams would be more interested in him than Eric B. Enemy, uh, you know. So, so guys, so, so guys, I, 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 I kind of have a theory. Let me know if I'm off base. I think that Joe Brady was more so of a David Tepper thing than Matt Rule thing. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Rule would have brought his guy from uh, Temple Baylor. Yeah. I mean, he brought Phil Snow over, and I think Tepper was excited. All right, we'll let you have Phil Snow, but I really want Joe Brady. Yeah. Um, I, there's a question that just popped up in my mind, man. So apparently, you know, uh, Scott Fitter has a has a good history with quarterbacks. Like I said, he actually played quarterback. Uh, you know, when he when he was in college, with that number eight pick, man, it does it seem more imminent that we go quarterback? I don't think so. I feel like eight is too. That's too high to draft a quarterback in the NFL if you need a quarterback. At that point. The best quarterbacks are probably off the board. The best two or three are probably off. Yeah, two or three off the board. So you're looking well, we, at we know we know one will be off the board right. most definitely. Right. Yeah. So at that point, you're looking at third, fourth, fifth best QBs in college, which ain't bad. But in the NFL, if you need a quarterback, that's not who you are are bringing in unless unless you know something. Unless you like take a look at Russell Westbrook or Russell Wilson or a Colin Kaepernick or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, you know, these guys right. didn't get drafted high, but you like, okay, that guy's got something. Um, I would be surprised if the Panthers, because even though we ride Teddy Bridgewater pretty hard on this show, he's a solid enough NFL quarterback to where I think the Panthers can use the time they have him to build other or fill other deficiencies. You know, we still got offensive line problems. Our back end secondary, not, that good. not good. Linebacker maybe still an issue. I think you fill those holes. You let Teddy do his thing till his contract runs out, and then you'll what you'll have is a well built team on all phases that just needs a young hot shot quarterback that you can draft. Yeah, um, well, n- needless to say, man, he's got he's got his work cut out for him, man, because. You know, we like like we've said in all, on previous shows, man. Tepper seems to be that guy who is hell bent on finding whatever he feels like is a franchise quarterback. I'm not saying you know not anything's imminent, but I, just from what from what we know about the guy, it seems like that's going to be a thing. And I just wonder is he going to pressure uh, a fitterer into finding that franchise guy? That's that's it. Gotcha. So uh, I got some unfortunate news. Uh, last week, uh, the Charlotte Hornets were uh, one and three, uh, with our lone win being against the New York Knicks on Monday with a 109-88 victory. And then we lost three straight. We lost to Dallas. Uh, they they thoroughly spanked us. That that that's, that score was not as close as it indicates. Uh, and back to back losses to Toronto. Guys, what do you feel about this week? The sky is not falling. It's, basically it's nothing to be the, the the hornets are exactly where they need to be 
the Toronto losses will look concerning on paper because the Raptors were only two and eight before mm. they beat us. But did any, anybody really think Toronto was as bad as their record indicated? Probably not. No. no. Uh, why? Why are people forgetting that the Toronto Raptors were a number two seed in the East last season, last with, season. A, with, with essentially the same team, yeah. and then won the championship? Yeah, I'm gonna push back before. on that. Push back on that one a little bit. Uh, how? They, they 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 don't have their big men. Abaka and, and, and Gasala aren't there anymore. The, those were like the lead dogs of that defense. So so it's it's, it's a slightly different team, but still an effective backcourt. Yeah, well, I mean, the only reason the Hornets lost those games was because Toronto shot abnormally well from three point. Both of them. Uh, yeah, in, in both games. And I mean abnormally, like uh anytime a team shoots over twenty-three pointers at over a 50% clip, that's just abnormal. And that kind of brings into the question about the the Hornets uh, zone defense. You know, we've been running a matchup zone because we kind of have to, and Toronto was able to shoot well over it. Um, the thing is, is that there, there is a, a bit of a misguided narrative about the Charlotte Hornets and their ability to shoot the three. Over the last three or four years, I think there's been this perception in the league that it's easy to shoot the three against the Hornets because our backcourt is, even when we had Jeremy Lamb, you know, Kimber Walker was the point and you know, he's a small point and it was thought that, hey, you can, you can get shots on the perimeter against these guys, but statistically that doesn't really bear out. Teams do shoot a lot of three-pointers against us, but they don't necessarily hit at, like an extended clip, they they shoot about league average against the Charlotte Hornets. But as long as teams have that perception, they're gonna come out and shoot, and you're gonna have nights like last night and uh, two nights ago where the Raptors just shoot the lights out. The horn, it's not like the, they were they were wide open shots. The Hornets were contesting those shots. Mm-hmm. It's just that the Hornets are a little slow to rotate around, which is tough to do in a matchup zone all in, you know, you move the ball around and they were just getting there a little bit too slow. Kyle Lowry is a capable three point shooter. Uh, Fred Van Fleet. We know he's a capable three point shooter. The, the Raptors are built with a bunch of shooters. So yeah. usually we're trading two for three the whole night. And it's tough for the Hornets to keep up just because a three pointer is so much more valuable than two points. I didn't feel like the Hornets played poorly, especially last night. They got off to a good, fast start. Toronto went on a run. Charlotte went on a run. They went back and forth. It went down to the wire, and the game really came down to a bad no call on the last shot. Exactly. That, 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 look, I want to see that two-minute report. It doesn't make no, it Oh Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot to look at the two-minute review today. But the game came down to that, and it, it, I, it's hard for me to fault them for that loss. The Dallas game was a little different because yeah. – one, Luca was in shape. He wasn't in shape when he played the first time. He's looking kind of kind of James Hardenish uh out there. And Christoph Porzingis wasn't there. So you know, we had in um Eric Collins brought up a good point during the podcast. The Hornets hadn't played against Christoph Porzingis in three seasons. So now you've got to game plan and scout for a guy that you literally haven't seen on the court in almost four years. He comes in. He crossing cats over threes in people's eyes. It, that was a you know, and plus Dallas has something to prove because they felt like we, they shouldn't have lost to us a week ago. I, I I had that pegged as a loss. I thought we would split one of the games with the Raptors. We did not, but ultimately 
what we're one game below 500 now, you know, a team that we thought might make the playoffs. Gordon Hayward injured, comes back, has a great game. Terry Rozier is a, is a dog. Devontae Graham came out of his slump. Uh, I, I really I don't have a whole lot of negatives to say about I think the Hornets are right where they need to be. We know what the deficiencies are. They just gotta shore those up. Jamal, Jamal. Um, I feel a lot of the same way, man. Like uh we we're we're one and three this week, and for some reason I just don't I'm just not that upset with it. There, there's nothing that's just really bothering me about this week with the Hornets. Even with the Mavericks game, like we lost by eleven, but keep this in mind. We outscored the Mavericks in the second half. The first quarter did us in. Yeah. We had we had our obligatory horrible start, which we've been getting a little better with the last two or three games. But in that Mavericks game, we started slow and we never recovered. Kristaps Porzingis, not to be Captain Obvious, he's a horrible matchup for us. He's a seven foot three guy who can shoot the three and take it off the dribble occasionally. That there's nobody on this roster that can match up with Porzingis. Not a, not a lot of people in this league can match up with Kristaps Porzingis. And keep in mind, Dallas has won like three or four in a row at this point, man. So they're a hot team coming in. There's no shame in losing the game like that to the Dallas Mavericks, man. Uh, the Knicks game, it was what it was. I, I pegged it as a win, and it was a relatively easy win. You know what I mean? It was it was, it was was a relatively coast-to-coast win, man, which I kind of expected. Uh, uh, New York is sliding a bit, man. Uh, we contained Julius Randle, which we always seem to do for some reason. We always – we all I think we held him like 12 or 14 points or something like that. Um, the Toronto game – Something interesting about the first Toronto game. So the dead horse with this team is big man, big man, big man. When are the Hornets going to try to get a big man? That's the dead horse. We actually out-rebounded the Toronto Raptors in that game. There's something funny. <laughs> in the fourth quarter, uh, Eric Collins, the, the commentator for the Hornets, he said, you know, the Hornets have a really big advantage in the rebounding edge th- this game. I, on that same possession, the Raptors grabbed five offensive rebounds on that <laughs> possession. I'm not making this up. And from that point on, that was the difference in the game. We still, by the numbers, we still out-rebounded the Raptors, but we just did not get them when they counted, which was the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. I don't, I don't have a stat in front of me, but the Raptors got a whole bunch of second-chance points in the fourth quarter. That was the difference in that game. Outside of them hitting, a, you know, hitting the three at will against us, which is something I want to talk about. <clears throat> Kaiser brings up an excellent point with this zone matchup defense. I tweeted in the last game. I said, I, I wish I and, and let me be clear about something. I know why JB has to go to the zone matchup, just like Kaiser said. I agree with that, and I, and I know why he has to do that. But I wish we had. I don't know if it's the talent, the will, whatever it is. I wish we had the capacity to just man up and guard our guys so we don't have to go zone matchup. Now, I hate to beat a dead horse, but here's where a big man would help in that scenario, okay? Hornets have a hard time containing dribble penetration. That, that's been an issue since the Clifford era because of small guards, what have you, or just defensive deficiencies. Now, where a big man would clean some of that up is if you have someone who's clogged in the middle, you don't have to overhelp like we tend to do a lot. Mm-hmm. If you look at a lot of those possessions, 
it, there was one possession last night where Kyle Lowry was in the lane, and there's literally three guys chasing him in the lane while Vlad Fleet is open for a three. Right. You can't – with a team like Toronto, you have to consistently stay disciplined in guarding that three. And it's hard to do when you're trying to compensate for 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 bad dribble penetration defense, you know what I mean? So I've, I've, I'm I'm saying all this because you you guys know I've been I've been questioning why we can't consistently defend people, and I kind of answered my own question. I, I've been looking at this closely lately, and you know it's it's going to be a challenge all season going forward, man. Yeah. Well, uh, real quick, when the NBA got rid of illegal defenses almost 20 years ago, we saw the death of man-to-man as a primary defense, mainly because really good offensive players, like, you know, Kobe Bryant essentially killed man-to-man defense because he could just – he could win any ISO situation at that point. So when they got rid of illegal defense, then we started to see kind of like this half zone uh, or what ends up being matchup zone now in today's NBA where – you know, players can can help without worrying about getting a legal defense call. Um, so in today's NBA, you just don't see that much man-to-man unless you have talented man defenders, a guy like – I'm just saying Patrick Beverly just, you know, because he, he's a, a really good uh, man defender. The Hornets don't have that, and I don't know if, if, if we'll ever have that in – to Jamal's point, yeah, a big man alleviates a lot of those situations because when guys get beat off the dribble, then the ball handler, you know, then he's got to match up with whoever is sitting there in the paint. That's really what the when, the, when people say, well, the Hornets need a big man, that's all we need is a guy who can stand there and alter shots in the middle of the paint. And, and, and you know, you know what's funny, man? Like sometimes for me, it's not even altering shots. It's more like taking up space. You know, like, like for for example, Stephen Adams is not like a high rate shot blocker, but he uh-huh. takes up space. Right, yeah. Like it's hard to get a shot over him in the lane when he's clogging right. up the paint. He's, he's active in the paint. He's right, always right, right. He's one of the thing about our, you know, big man like Biombo. He's not very active in the the paint and he's a, he's a strong physical guy he's not but very big either man yeah he's not taking like you say he's not taking up a, a a lot of space i i don't feel like guys have to alter their shots to get around him he's he's there and you're either gonna score on him or you know or you're not um L- let me say something that's gonna be very unpopular i i already know whoever's gonna listen to this watch is like man you are crazy you have no idea what you're talking about we are missing Cody Zeller. Missing, damn it. No, yes, yeah, hey, I said no. it. I, I damn it. I said it. I don't care if you disagree with it or not. We are missing Cody Zeller. Bismack Biombo is playing way more minutes than he needs to or probably wants to. Um, I, I have to give PJ Washington a lot of credit yeah. for, for he he's been rebounding his ass off the last three games. Too, man. He's he's blocking shots, man. But ideally, it's not where you want him to be all the time. I think Cody Zeller takes a lot of pressure off of a Bismack and off of a P.J. Washington. Cody Zeller is at least uh, bigger than both of those guys who can who can clog up the paint. We know Cody Zeller is not a, a shot blocker at all, really. But he is somebody who can who I think can alleviate some of those defensive deficiencies if he's on the court as well. Plus, he, he's better for the offense. We, you yeah. know. 
for those that aren't in the Charlotte group, you know, we have a nickname for Cody, Screen God. Screen God. Yep. Mainly because that's, you know, there was this narrative. Well, why is Cody Zeller out there? Well, look at what he was able to do with Kimba Walker in the pick and roll game. We're mi- we are missing that, actually. And that could be a big part of the reason why Devontae Graham has struggled. The pick and roll game is not as good as it used to be because Biombo is smaller. He doesn't he doesn't screen well. He doesn't roll to the basket as well. And, and on top of that, you you, you know, I, I don't think a lot of our guards don't trust him as much as Cody when it comes to getting him the ball him or, the ball, or right. passing out of it. Yeah. So so guys, I, I want to do something. You guys have a lot to get off your chest. I'm gonna say a statement. <laughs> and you're going to tell me what you feel. So I, 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 I've got a few statements that we've seen the past week. Oh, or two. I'm ready for this. Fans, by the way, this is off the cuff. We didn't script this. I don't yeah, know. We, we did not script this at all, y'all. Yeah. We, we promise we did not. <laughs> okay, so put on my voice. <clears throat> that damn Melo only paid 21 minutes. Fire JB. Please, please let me take this one first. Please so, yes, take this no, first. Yeah. <sighs> Y'all forgive me if I'm a little long-winded about this. Um, as Hornets fans, we are – one thing the entire fan base of the Hornets is it shares in, in, in common is that we are all excited about LaMelo Ball. I think I speak for everyone when I say that. Before you new Hornets fans who are only on board because LaMelo Ball is here, let me speak to you specifically. <clears throat> like I said last week, James Wiseman, the number two pick, is only playing 20 minutes a game. Do you think Steve Kerr is going to get fired at the end of this season? Anthony Edwards, who is the number one pick, is only playing a minute more than LaMelo Ball is this season. Do you think the Timberwolves coach is getting fired this season because of that? Kobe Bryant, who was one of the top players in the history of the NBA at 19 years old, was only playing 25 minutes a game. Tell me why you think LaMelo Ball deserves to play 30 to 40 minutes a game and why James Borrego should be fired because LaMelo Ball is not playing that many minutes a game. Let me tell you why. Because LaMelo has 5 million Instagram followers, (laughs) 5 million Twitter followers, and he's already an all-star. I I, I saw a Facebook status, Kaiser, from one of our dear friends who shall remain nameless. They said... Ain't nobody watching the Hornets because of Devontae Graham. They watching the Hornets because of LaMelo Ball. The first time management listens to fans should be the last time. I'm going to say this one more time to LaMelo Ball. Not Charlotte Hornets fans, to LaMelo Ball fans. I'm going to say this one more time. Calm y'all asses down. He will start at some point. It is a, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. The floor is yours, Kaza. So, man, I, I don't, I don't want to offend any new Hornets. <laughs> I want to thank you guys for jumping on the bandwagon, for whatever reason you may be. But some of you guys don't know basketball, and I'm not like a basketball savant. I'm, a, I'm a fan just like you are. But if you watched the game last night. There was a very important point that I hope everyone saw. When the game was on the line, who was on on the floor? floor. You had Devontae Graham, you had Terry Rozier, Mello Ball. They brought him in the scores table 
only to bother the inbound pass because he's longer. But that was it. With that situation, do you really want a 19-year-old rookie on the floor? No, you don't. You don't. I don't. I, and I don't care. And, and this is from someone. I've been on the LaMelo ball train for, for a, long time a, now. a long time. You know, I, I and I love the kid. And I think I think he's going to be a superstar. I really, really think he's going to be a super. He's going to be our next big Charlotte superstar. But that is not a situation where you want to just throw him to the fire. Hornets had a especially especially, and we have to give props to Devonte Graham and Terry Rozier for what yeah, they did yeah. in the fourth quarter. In, Are you yeah. really after after all the threes they hit in the fourth quarter that essentially got us back in the game? Are you going to take them off the floor yeah, for yeah, no? You're 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 not. It, I don't I, think. I'm, I'm don't sorry to interrupt, bro. No, no, I don't think any coach in the NBA puts a mellow ball in the game in that situation. Not not at this point in his career. Now. Next season, season after next, trust me, Melo's time's gonna gonna come. There's gonna, gonna be time come, where okay, we need we need to make sure Lamelo Ball is on the floor. But I, I think what JB is doing with him, the way he's bringing him along, and some someone said this about JB, and I actually don't completely disagree. They said JB is a developmental coach. He's not an X's and O's coach. And you know what? I'll. I, I don't completely agree with that, but I'll concede that point. I, I I think that JB, as a developmental coach, is knocking it out of the park. You look at where the Hornets have drafted in the last three seasons and what they've been able to produce, and I don't think there's any question that JB does a pretty good job of developing players. That is why Michael Jordan hired him. When they hired him, they came out and made a statement, player development is our focus. You pick in above 10 in the last four years and look at what you've got. Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, and LaMelo Ball. You know how many teams would kill to have those four players, you know, having draft and develop those four players. So I'm good with what he's doing with LaMelo Ball. His time will come, guys. Just be just be patient. Enjoy the highlights. You know, I, I will say I want you guys to do this. I noticed this the other day. Go to the NBA YouTube page. Search Charlotte Hornets. Look at our last four games of highlights. Millions of views per. Go back to any game. You might get 50K views. In fact, I went back (laughs) four years (laughs) on the NBA YouTube channel and the highest amount of views that the Charlotte Hornets highlight videos ever got was 70,000. Whereas the last four have been over 1.5 million. That is the little mellow ball effect. So I do under I do understand. But what a lot of people are realizing that the Hornets are a young, fun, exciting team to watch. Even when Lamelo's not on the floor, you got guys like Miles Bridges. Terry Rozier is a dog. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna he's gonna go out there and, and get his. I I think that narrative as the season goes along, the Horn the people are gonna realize, hey, the Hornets are actually a dynamic team. Lamelo's time will come. Okay. Second dumb statement. <laughs> Lamella Ball is leaving the Hornets. Your franchise is keeping them back. Hey, let me keep this real short. I'm gonna keep this short. Lamella Ball will be a Hornet for at least eight years because that's the way his contract is structured. 
I like literally, he will be. I, there, there's nothing he can do. He he's going to be team option, team option, restricted free agent after at four years. Team option, team option, restricted free agent. Then he'll be a UFA, and at that point, it, it might not even matter. So, yeah, I'm gonna keep this one really short as well. Um, I I don't know where people are seeing that there I, I I don't know if they're judging from facial expressions or body language um let me remind people we are we are 14 games in Lamelo ball's career let me say that again we are 14 games in Lamelo ball's career we're not in season three we're not in season four we're not in season five. We're not even we, we have, we're, his first contract is not even up yet. There is absolutely no indication at all that LaMelo Ball is is in any way, shape or form. Lukewarm to the Charlotte Hornets. to anyone who is paying attention so far in his 14 game career. It looks as if he really enjoys playing with the Charlotte Hornets to those of us who are paying attention. So far in his 14-game career, it looks like he really actually enjoys playing for James Borrego. And every single interview that we've seen of him so far in his 14-game career, he's always smiling. He's always in a good mood. He has always been uh, uh, someone who wants to work to get better. Just stop it. Okay. Okay. I will say, I will say real quick as an aside, this might be the Kyrie Harden effect where people are realizing that in the NBA, and this is a whole other conversation. Yeah, I know where you're going. I know but, where you're going with this. Yeah, but players in the NBA have a lot more influence than they do in other professional sports leagues where they can force themselves into more favorable situations. Um, and I think people feel like at some point in Melo's career, he will be able to do that. And, and that's true, but not 14 games into his career where, um, you know, like, like, like Matthew says, yeah, fans are are scared. History show that our best players don't stay with the franchise, but history also shows that a lot of times that is the franchise's fault. Kimball Walker would have stayed; he wanted to stay a Hornet. Cam Newton wanted to stay a Carolina Panther. Larry Johnson wanted to stay a Charlotte Hornet. Um, it's just that, and I, and I think with, those with, narratives have changed. With all that being said. If LaMelo Ball gets to a situation where he wants to leave the Charlotte Hornets, it won't be because he didn't get playing time <laughs> as a rookie. That won't be the reason. Go ahead. No, okay. All right, All right, got with, with that being said, for time purposes, I'm going to save my third. No. Outrageous, outrageous come on, man. I, I need yeah, more. Yeah, come on. You yeah. want to hear it? Okay. I want to hear it, man. Come on, man. <laughs> if you don't play Ahmad Malik Monk, you need I to go it. ahead and trade him or cut him today. He deserves the playing time, and this franchise has done nothing but hold him back. Okay, so let, let, me, let me take this one okay, first. Okay, yeah. Have we held Devontae Graham back? Did we hold Kimball Walker back? Miles Bridges. Have, have we held PJ Washington back? Martin. Have we held Miles Bridges back? Um, oh, yeah. um Sometimes, sometimes you you can blame the player. Um, James Borrego did not take Malik Monk to the trap 
and buy him cocaine. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. Allegedly. I'm, allegedly. I'm, allegedly. Allegedly. I'm sorry. Allegedly. I'm I'm 100% positive that didn't happen. I'm 100% positive that Michael Jordan, James Borrego, Steve Clifford, and 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 everyone else involved. Um, I'm I, I'm pretty sure it's not yeah, all of their fault. The, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, I'm pretty sure they didn't have a secret meeting and say, you know what, we simply just don't like the guy. <laughs> like I don't even know why. We just we just don't want him to succeed. You know, I, I'm pretty sure all that didn't happen. Sometimes it's okay to blame the player for not putting in the work that is needed to succeed. Sometimes it's okay, guys. I, I, I promise it is. Even if, and I, and this is a big if, even if Malik Monk goes somewhere else and lights it up, more power to him, I, guarantee, I, I will stand by this to the end of time. It's not the Charlotte Hornets' fault. I promise it ain't. Go ahead, Kaiser. I have never in my 40 years plus years on the earth, 35 years following sports, seen <laughs> a professional sports organization in our area coddle a player more than they coddle Malik Monk during his career. I swear, man. His people forget his rookie season. Remember, Michael Carter Williams was injured. Malik Monk started, or he didn't start, but he backed up Kim Walker the first 20 games. Like you are the sixth man, you coming in. And you playing 25 minutes a game. He, he got more minutes than LaMelo Ball was getting his first 20 games of his career. Now, he didn't do well, and I understand that, that that was an iffy situation. But he had the greenest of green lights. In fact, his nickname in the Hornets group was Green Light. We used to call him Green Light. Because when Malik Monk got on the court, he could do whatever he wanted. And Steve Clifford wasn't going to stop him. And then... The rumor, we don't know if this is true or not. This is just a rumor, but there's always a, some basis of factor rumors. The rumor was that one of the reasons the Hornets chose not to resign Dwight Howard was because they did not like his influence on Malik Monk. Yeah. Now, there are 12 other guys in that locker room, but they specifically said, or so the rumor says, that no, we don't like the way your relationship with Malik Monk. We've seen the way Michael Jordan treats Malik Monk on the sidelines during games. Michael Jordan has never been like that with any other player. I've never seen him dap up uh, um, Michael Carter Williams after he missed the layup <laughs> or slap him in the back of the head or whatever. You know, he's out there clowning with Malik Monk. Then, Monk, you know, the drug thing happens, and we've explained this a million. It, for, for, for those of you who don't understand, it was a hard drug. We don't know if it was specifically cocaine, but we know for a fact it was either cocaine, meth, uh, ecstasy or hallucinogen. It was it was probably cocaine because he failed the first phase one of the program. The Hornets could have voided his contract. It's in the, the collective bargaining agreement. They could have just said, you know what? We don't feel like dealing with, we don't feel like babysitting you. And by the way, Malik Monk's situation is very unique. Only times ever happened in NBA history that a player has been put in phase one of these, what they call substances of abuse program. So the Hornets are in a very unique situation. They could have just cut ties and said, you know what? You're on your own, Malik Monk. You serve the suspension and then you go to another team. But they chose not to. They chose not to. They chose to keep him on the team. And it's important to note, before his suspension, Malik Monk was averaging more minutes than he had ever averaged in his career, we we forget he hit that last second shot, that incredible last second three pointer, and James Borrego came out and said 
Yes, I knew Malik Monk could hit that shot. That's why I had him out there. Clearly, the coaching staff and the franchise felt invested in Malik Monk to where they needed to coddle him. They we wanted to give him minutes. It then the drug he, thing happened. That's his fault. Trust. Yeah, that's his fault. And any downward spiral since then is his fault. The, the, the Charlotte Hornets did everything they could to put Malik Monk in a and position to develop and be successful, just like Devontae Graham did, Miles Bridges did, PG Washington is doing, and Lamella Ball will do. So I don't want to hear anything else about Malik Monk. I'm whatever, very glad whatever, that he's got minutes. Whatever, whatever but, but, but all those guys didn't score 47 against UNC. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. By the way, Rodney did take him to the trap. He just won't admit it. He just- <laughs> They went to Atlanta. Yeah, they, you know, yeah. Let me stop. <laughs> let me stop. <laughs> we went around the corner from Jamal House. Uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, so we're going to trans- transition to something a little more serious. Uh, on Wednesday, it is the presidential inauguration. Oh, uh, Joe Biden will formally take off, uh, and Kamala Harris will be the uh, vice president. <clears throat> and. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, all 50 state capitals have been alerted to be on watch. Uh, a crazy man drove uh, with fake inauguration papers and, and had the gun and, and 500 rounds of ammo in his car. In his F-150. In his F-150. Yeah. <laughs> it was really an F-150. It was really an F-150. <laughs> so, guys, I, I, I just want to get a gauge of what you think. I expect chaos. I, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I don't see how there could be anything else. We've already seen the uh, the uh, prologue, you know, last week. Uh, this is going to be that, at least. Uh, you know, I, I know that they've brought in the military now, and I, I will say this: when stuff like that happens, and the military comes in. People are a little bit more cautious because mm-hmm. you don't know what the military is going to do. People ask this all the time. You know, ask me when I was in the military. If they had asked you, I was a weapons loader on fighter aircraft. If they had asked you to load weapons on aircraft to kill civilians, would you have done it? And my answer is probably, but not for the reasons that you think. The military doesn't come out and say, hey, we're going to go kill civilians. What they'll do is they'll paint these people as the enemy. Yep. And we know that we feel like these people are terrorists. I feel like these people are domestic terrorists. And that's exactly what they would tell. That's what they're going to tell these National Guardsmen. These guys are the enemy. They are terrorists. If you see somebody doing something, you put them down. I think that it it only takes one person to like the, the powder keg. So I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a bunch of people. Uh, there's going to be a lot of emotion and tension. And one person is going to put the spark in the powder keg. And we're going to get a replay of what we got last week and possibly more bloodshed. I think people are going to find out really quickly that the Second Amendment does not care about <laughs> um, you know, whether or not you can de- you think you can defend yourself from armed, trained National Guardsmen. I think people... We're gonna learn some harsh lessons. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it's peaceful, and 
but I, I just don't see that it, it being peaceful. Um, chaotic was the exact word I was going to use to to describe what I think is going to happen Wednesday. My expectation is that the military will act like the damn military. Mm-hmm. And because because what happened at the Capitol, if I'm the military and I'm the government, ain't happening again. I, I can't be more embarrassed if I'm the military and the government that that absolutely cannot happen again. Um, you have to shut down. And, and I think what's more important, I mean, don't get me wrong. Let me let me rephrase this. Um, it is obviously important to protect the people who want to attend this inauguration in peace. That is obviously the truth. Well, what what is also imperative as well is that the military and the government have to set a precedence again. They have to set the precedence of authority again. You cannot let civilians and people take over what is happening in D.C. You just can't do it. It's just ironic that all the people who are for law and order and authority are now fighting these same authorities and 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 and, and now going to be the subjects of law and order. So the the government has to establish that again, man. You just cannot have that embarrassing thing happen, and you have to protect people, man. So that is my expectation. But I also believe that it is going to be chaotic. Just by for what Kaiser said, it only takes one bad apple. It takes one crazy dude to 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 fire a bullet in the air or or do something stupid to set off a chain reaction. Again, I hope that is not the case, but at the same time, I still remain a little pessimistic, man. But again, the, the military has to establish themselves. I, I remember talking, I remember uh, I was on the phone with Danny on uh, the 6th when they certified the, the results with Congress and everything. For the, like, and, for the 87th time, yeah. Yeah, and so like, uh, and I'm like, tune in later today. It's going to get wild. And unfortunately, I was correct. And honestly, man, you know what? It's, 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 it's the thing that's sad to me is if you look in that group, you see former military men, former police officers in that group who is willing to take over and burn the whole damn thing down because they don't have because they seem like they're losing their privilege again, and, and it's 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 just crazy to me, man. I I I'm, I'm I'm telling everybody I know be vigilant, be aware this whole week because you never know what's gonna pop off this yeah, whole it's, week. It's the reasons that that bother me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If if because I'm not one of these people that feels like like the government. And, and, and in fact, if we could burn everything down and rebuild it back up into something better. I'm, I'm actually for that, but that's not, that's not why these people were doing that. They were mad because their dude lost. And like Rodney said, their, their privilege and supremacy is now in danger. Or at least they, they feel that, that it is when, when we were out protesting because Keith Scott was killed in our, our hometown, we were protesting against police brutality. We wanted transparency from the city and our government. That's why we were out protesting. Um, These people were protesting over a fair election based on misinformation and propaganda from the person who lost that election. That to me is what, that is the difference between um, those reasons. And to me, those reasons are disturbing because they'll they'll just make up whatever they need to make up to justify. Tell me if I'm off base. 
we were protesting all the stuff this summer because we want the laws to work equally for everybody. They're protesting because the laws that <laughs> right. skewed to them didn't work in their favor, and so they want to overturn it to make everything go in their favor like they always do. No, no, you're not off base, but here's the dangerous part of, of, of you saying that. See, we're making logical arguments. These people, there's no logic. And look, man, I, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to be, you know, to take this here, but I have to, man. I tell people all the time, man, there's no logic in white supremacy. And and we keep looking for logic and we keep looking for a reason. And there is none. I mean, the 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 truth is has been flipped. One plus one is three now. The sun is blue. Like how can you have civil discussions with people who just flip the truth? You know what I'm saying? So I, I, what, what do you say to that, man? I, I just, there's, there's no logic behind what they're fighting for. So with that being said, it's like this. You ever, you ever, you ever try to like reason with a bully? You can't reason with a bully. What do you have to do with the bully? You got to knock his ass out. So, sometimes you just can't talk to people. And unfortunately, these are people that you just cannot have a civil, reasonable adult conversation with. Therefore, this is what we got. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, we, we we really wanted to talk about that. I mean, because that that's important to us. Yeah, no doubt, and, man. And, and it's, it, that was a pivotal moment in, in United hey, States history. Look, yeah. look, look, guy, and I don't mean to cut you off, Roddy, but for people who are watching, listening, man, like you know, we we would rather talk to y'all about sports and laugh and chuck it up and and you know be be mad or happy with our teams, man. But this is too important to not talk about, man. Mm-hmm. So that's that's it. All right, uh, let's go. We're gonna talk about shoutouts. Uh, Jamal, do you want to shout out anything or anybody, or you just like me to go first? Go first while I think about who I'm going to shout out. Okay. Uh, shout out to me and my wife. We did our first episode of Cohort 1986 yesterday. Uh, check us out. Uh, basically, we're trying to connect our community and show the younger show, show the younger generation and people that are lost, like, hey, I want to get into this. What does it take? And we're just trying to connect mentors and mentorships and everything like that. Uh, also, man, I want to shout out uh, – let me get the young man's name uh, – Brad Holmes, he was uh, recently named the uh, GM of the Detroit Lions. He actually came from the St. Louis, not St. Louis, but I'm old, uh, Los Angeles Rams. Rams. He's an African-American gentleman, man. The, the Rams received uh, two compensatory third-round picks uh, because of the re- reconstruction of the Rooney Rule. And also, man, look, he, he has some t- Carolina ties, man. He uh, played football at uh, at North Carolina A and T. So uh, he's forty one years old, born in seventy nine. Man, he's he, he's peaking. he could practically be on the show right now. Yeah, he's one of us. Okay. So uh, congratulations to him, man. And uh, hey, uh, Kazi, got any shout outs? Uh, I'm gonna shout at professional athletes, particularly those in the NBA. Uh, guys like Kyrie, Harden, George Hill. <laughs> Y'all gonna be okay. <laughs> I swear you are. I swear yeah, you are. I'll be fine. Tell you what. Tell you what. Tell you what. Switch places with me. You Trade, can, you, please. Yeah. You can switch places with me even for a day. You can just switch places with me and then see how you feel and see if you still don't want to, to get paid millions of dollars to go play basketball 
and then have the NBA tell you you can't go to a stripper party. Get man, if you don't, man, yeah, so, done. Yeah, no, come on, man. And also, I, I want to shout at uh, every. I don't know if you guys saw uh, Jackie McMullen. Yeah, made a statement, yeah. and her statement was correct. I don't even think the wording she used was incorrect, but people took offense to it because she she said something about Kyrie Irving being property. But here's here's the truth. Here's here's the reality. You, you property. You signed the contract saying I'm gonna get paid thirty million dollars to play basketball. We're not talking about saving the world from aliens or curing <laughs> cancer. Dog, you playing basketball. You doing you getting paid thirty million dollars? What I know, dudes who go to the Y right now and do for free. For free. Now I'm not a shut up and dribble person. I feel like you know these guys are they are human too, and I understand they have human feelings. They have opinions just like the rest of us. I completely understand that, and I respect that. But the context is important. You playing, <laughs> yeah, Jay, yeah, Jay. <laughs> you playing basketball for millions and millions of dollars, while I'm just I'm trying to get Patreon dollars for a YouTube channel. Hello. Dog, I, you have no sympathy for me. You have None. absolutely zero. No. None. Go play ball, get paid, and and I'll watch you and salute you. You could have opted out and set your ass at home this year. Exactly. Hello. So so Hello. if a guy like it's Kyrie, you know, hey Kyrie, I, I get it. It, it you know you got hey you can retire. You retire tomorrow. You give your talent to someone who wants it. Give somebody else your spot, and then the right we'll be okay. We'll be fine. You'll be fine. Everyone will be fine. I got a I got I, here's my parting shot. One um, A and one B. One A. I want to kind of echo what Kaza said. The the salary I make per year is probably like forty zeros point one of what these athletes make. And I have the same I have the same regulations that I have to abide by when it comes to COVID stuff. I, I, I have to make these same choices when it comes to my forms of entertainment, what I choose to do, who I choose to hang with because of COVID. Entitlement in America is out of control. Americans are some spoiled, entitled motherfuckers. Excuse my language, but this is how passionate I feel about it. Stop being so damn entitled. COVID is real. Shout out to the people who have died of COVID, to the people that I know personally who have lost their lives because of COVID, and we still got people who are acting entitled over something that we all need to do our part to stop the spread. That's 1A. Yes, Rodney. No, no, no. I'm gonna let you go. Go, go, go ahead. One B. Here's my here's my last parting shot. Look, I know I'm I, I know I sound like a broken record and I'm repetitive when I say this, but you guys in the chat room right now, Matthew, Jay, Swagner, Perlard, whoever else I miss, Sherrod, whoever else I'm missing who shows up to our chat rooms every week. For those of us who for those of y'all who follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I cannot stress enough how much the support means to us three individuals here, but I want to expound the reasons why your support is important. We are in Charlotte, North Carolina. There are hardly any black voices in Charlotte sports media. When I say hardly any, I literally can count on maybe one hand, maybe two to, to beat at the most. 
your support means a lot because nobody else is going to give us a chance to express our voices and our opinions in any type of media. It is important to us that y'all like, share, and subscribe what we do because you are our marketing team. We can't do it all by ourselves. You get what I'm saying? Everybody who shows us support, it is that important. Not only to us, but to Vashti, but to Danny, but to Sheena, but to who any, every, anybody, any other African-American in Charlotte who's attempting to do this. It is important that y'all support them and supporting means <laughs> Jay, you a fool, man. Supporting means watching, sharing, subscribing, whatever else. And I cannot continue to thank y'all enough for doing your part, man. So that's my part shot. So uh, I, I got, I got two more. So uh, I want to, I, I want to give prayers up for Carl Anthony Towns. No doubt, man. You know, he lost like eight family members due to COVID. And now he has COVID. And so when Kaiser was, was speaking, that reminded me of his whole situation. And then finally, man, like Jay said, man, shout out to Nelly, man. He's, he's getting that checks. <laughs> the Buster Challenge <laughs> is so classy and beautiful to watch. <laughs> and uh, I fall in love every day. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, but man, look, man, uh, Thank you guys for watching, man. Like Jamal said, we really do appreciate your support. You are our marketing team. And continue to get the word out, man. And uh, much love. And, and, and be safe this week, please. Be safe, be vigilant, be ready. Yes, sir. Peace out. The Mellow